Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the podcast devoted to all things Sonics. Sonic's Flight is a monthly podcast discussing current events, news, and topics of interest to the Sonics community. We aim to entertain and educate builders and pilots of Sonics aircraft designs, inspiring them to complete and operate their aircraft safely and efficiently. Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the monthly show where we talk all things Sonics. This is episode number 10, Documenting Your Project. This month we're planning to discuss documenting your Sonics building project, we'll review the regulatory requirements for documentation, and speak with Sonics builders Bob Myers and Mike Smith about different ways to do that. I'm your host, Jeff Schultz, builder and pilot of Sonic 604 and 1374, and once again joining me are Gary Motley and John Gillis. Gary is pilot of Hound Dog, a longtime pilot, former CFI, thousands of hours GA flying, and 600 hours in his Aero V Sonics. Gary, uh, you've been flying lately? Uh, not for the last two weeks, but we're going to have to update those hours. I'm probably getting close to 700 now on the Sonics. All right. Now, that's what I like to hear. Just keep rocking them up. Yeah. And uh, John Gillis. Um, I like to call John the Scourge of the Rocky Mountains and he's uh, in his Y-Tail Sonics. John has several hundred hours behind his Jabiru-powered YX, has experience in Tri-Gear, Tail-Dragger, Straight-Tail, Y-Tail, Aero-V, Turbo Aero-V, and Jabiru-powered Sonics. John, what have you been up to? Oh, just doing a lot of flying. I'm almost up to 300 on my Sonics. Nice. All right, well, joining us, uh, Bob Myers. Bob is builder of Sonics 982, an Aero-V Tri-Gear. Bob completed his Sonics after a four-year build, first flew in 2010. Bob has an excellent website with uh, something like 150 pages. Many of those pages are, are five to ten sub-pages deep with hundreds, if not thousands, of pictures. So Bob has an excellent handle on how to craft a custom website. Bob, how how you been doing? I've been doing great. Uh, uh, haven't flown the Sonics in about a month since uh, Crossville, but uh, uh, I'm, as you know, I'm building another project. So I still love the Sonics, though. Not going to get rid of it. Good. That's uh, that's great. And then back again from his uh, first appearance on uh, engine cooling episode is Mike Smith. Mike plans built Sonics 439. That's a Aero V dragger. He's a longtime aviation enthusiast, a skydiver with 2,600 jumps, a 600-hour instrument-rated private pilot, and over the past two years uh, has flown something like 200 hours on his plane. So, Mike, uh, I, I know you've been getting a lot of flying in. Um, yep, uh, two, up to 217 hours now on my plane, and I try to get out every weekend if I, if I can. I was going to go out today, but I didn't like the crosswind component on the runway, so I'll Try again tomorrow, but of course it was 26 degrees out today too. Yeah, it'll be a balmy 32. Right, right. And then when they get the snow, um, you know, you can uh, skid your way down the runway. <laughs> well, they're pretty good about plowing our runway, so that I don't worry about too much. But but wind, yeah, I, I do. But, all right. Well, now that we're all here, um, let's uh, let's hit a couple of news topics. First on the list is a, uh, a discussion that's been going on the SonicsBuilder.net forum, and uh, it's the question, when to rivet the bottom skin on? And so what we're really talking about here is the aft skin on the fuselage, and uh, there are some advantages to leaving that thing off as long as possible. Um, have you guys been following this thread? 
I have, yep. yes. Yeah, I've yep. noticed it too. It's a recurring theme year after year. So uh, break it down for us, Gary. Well, as you, as you just said, you know, as you follow the plans, you could certainly rivet that bottom half skin on sooner than what we, what I typically did, and I probably I would imagine most of us did. Uh, the real advantages seem to come in, though, is is trying to get up there during the lower, last uh, assembly portions, especially to do some of the aft spar carry throughs. Uh, to do some control rigging and, and, and such and so forth as that. So I was one too that I pretty much just keep my Cleco in there and left it off as long as I need, as long as I could until I finished up everything. And I really didn't have any trouble waiting to almost the last instance to actually rivet the thing on. It did, it did increase access and, and ease a little bit more, but I still left my fair share of skin and blood on those things anyway. <laughs> so let's take a quick poll here. Um, uh, Bob, when did you rivet your bottom skin on? Uh, after I took it to the airport, it went to the airport, held in place with Clecos on a truck. Okay. And Mike, how about you? Literally the night before I had the plane inspected, that's when I put it on. Yeah, that's what I did too. It was like the very last thing. Like the guy's coming. It's like, I better, I better pop some rivets here. <laughs> and, John, and it was kind of a sad day because I knew I'd never be able to get up underneath, underneath there ever again the way I could. Right. <laughs> John, how about you? What did you do? <clears throat> Um, if I remember correctly, it was fairly late, um, it, but it was before I moved it to the hangar. Okay, so not, maybe not quite as late as um, you know some of the no. final final rigging. No, it was what? definitely before I, I actually rigged my um, rigged my wings after I did the bottom. So I was probably a pretty early adopter of riveting. Well, and actually, it, it does does the YX need it to go on a little earlier because of the mixer, or is that completely independent? Uh, the mixer. No, it's independent. It, it it hangs in a in a frame um, between a couple of the the formers in the back, so it doesn't have to have the bottom skin on. Okay. Did you find that you you wish you left it off longer, or or was it not a problem? I wish I could take it off, you know, now so mm-hmm. that you can get up in there. Um, working underneath there is just I call it the hellhole to get down in there and do anything. Yeah, it would be sweet. I was trying to do something on my aft today as well, too, and it was just, you know, like halfway up, upside down on your head and trying to crane and stretch as far as you can to reach something. It's a pain. Yeah. I wonder if you could fly it in, uh, in Clecos. How, how would that be? <laughs> <laughs> just never rivet it. <laughs> there was, you know, early on, someone had mentioned they were, they were going to fit theirs with, uh, rib nuts or, um, you know, a removable panel. And I think, at the time, Jeremy jumped in and said, no, don't do that. It's structural. You need to have it riveted tight. Well, I don't see any problem with putting a, a, a fairly good size cutout on, on the inside. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure it would really structurally affect it. You could even put some uh, thicker L angles across and tie it in between side to side as well. And I think that might be a viable option we ought to think about someday. Yeah, that's we'll do true. that on the C model. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Now, there's another aspect of this, which is the forward fuselage skin uh, on the bottom. And there's some advantages to leaving that off a little bit longer, too. Namely, that when you're working on the panel, the the tank straps, all that kind of stuff, that uh, probably after you fit your underseat structure, but if nothing is already permanently riveted, you can drop that thing out of the way and poke your head up from the floor and get access in there. Did, did anybody do that? I did not. I thought about it. Actually, that that's the one that I riveted on the night before my inspection. The the rear one I think I put on a day or two before that. But the front one, 
that's the one I just said, you know, I'm never going to get up underneath here again. So I saved it all the night before. I didn't I was, do that. I was reluctant to uh, uh, not have that on during wing rigging. And, uh, and that seems to be what a lot of people are talking about, whether you do the wing rigging, you'd prefer to have that riveted in. And so I elected not to do it. I think it would be nice to have it off. It would certainly help wing rigging. But uh, I, I elected not to do it for that reason. When you're saying wing rigging, is that initially when you when you drilled holes in the spar for the yes. for the ultimate? Because so, that one I absolutely didn't have the bottom on. I was had it up on horses and I got underneath and I've got pictures of me smiling working underneath because it's so easy. It works. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've I've talked to several people who have done it since and. Uh, I, but it, I was reluctant to do it for that reason. So I had it on when I did the ring wing ring. But I felt I could get in there from the back with the aft skin off. So that's that's the only reason I didn't do it. Always more than one way to skin a cat, right? Yeah. Okay, so if you're going to hold off on riveting either the forward skin or the aft skin, are there any gotchas that people need to know about? Not on the aft skin. I, I, I can't think of a single one. Uh, that was the last piece. It was a few days before I had my inspection, but still it was the, the last thing. Well, I think it's still possible to get just a little bit of a small amount of shift, though, by not having these skins in. As I remember, I did I did notice just a little bit. Just It made it much more difficult for me to get a couple of Clicos in where I could tell it had, it had fudged just a little bit in, in maybe alignment, but it went together and it flies perfectly straight. And, Mike, any gotchas on the forward skin? No, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, there's the if you're going to wait like I did the night before, you got to remember that there's not only rivets, but there's uh, several uh, small bolts at the uh, up where the engine mount is on the floor. So I had my uh, let's see at the time nine year old daughter in there holding the nuts while I was underneath. <laughs> so that takes a little more time than the rivets. So you got to remember that. Yeah, that's true. Normally, if you install the skin early in the process, the tank and glare shield are out of the way, so you can just sort of reach over the side. So that would be right. a little different. Yeah. But it all worked out. Okay. All right, well, good. Uh, moving on to the uh, the second topic, again, a thread on sonicsbuilders.net. And this is uh, another occurrence of um, the elevator travel being limited by some interference between the structure and the welded steel bell crank arm. Did any of you guys have any kind of interference back there? I did with the uh, uh, the vertical stabilizer skin when it would come all the way when the 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 arm would come back it came up and was stopped by the skin by just a small amount and so that I just uh, uh, filed out. Yeah, and I had I had a little bit of that. I did the same thing. I just filed it out, but I also had a pretty severe. Uh, you know, inside the bell crank, there's the, there's the little stop that, uh, you know, keeps the elevator from traveling, uh, too far in the up position. And that was pretty severely hitting the vertical structure of the, of the, uh, vertical tail. And I couldn't file down the end of that piece far enough to get what Sonic said should have said should have been the full travel. So, uh, I actually drilled a hole in that vertical tail structure and uh and then filed it all out and it's the hole is just big enough that that uh that uh bell crank arm can travel uh just inside that structure and get the full throw on the on the elevator 
Yeah, I tend to follow along with yours, Mike. I did think I'd, it sounds like we're both talking about the same thing. I did the same as well. I basically kept expanding with it in a bit uh, to get it completely round and smoothed and, of course, scotch bright and smoothed out everything to make sure it didn't have any stresses in it. And that hole did uh, provide uh, complete movement then of the bell crank. Yeah, there's really two things that, that can conspire to, to, to create interference. The, the position fore and aft of your horizontal stabilizer, um, it, it, it can move a little bit. You want to get the hole centered on the longerons so you have good edge distance and all that. But the whole thing can shift forward and aft by at least an eighth of an inch and possibly even more. Um, so if you end up going a little bit further to the front, then that's going to move it closer to that, that, that structure that the bell crank is going to hit. Um, and then same thing with the joiner that joins the two elevator halves together. Uh, that thing is, is drilled to the end ribs in the elevator. And if you set that a little further forward or a little further aft, that's going to change the distance there. So those two spaces there, small little movements can create either a lack of clearance or you can have no problems whatsoever. And that's why I think it varies from builder to builder. And probably the simplest way to, to manage it might be moving that uh, weldment a little bit more forward to give you the extra clearance. Right. And if you had if you had to move it excessively, now it's not going to fit between the end ribs. So you might need to change your your fit on your end ribs or possibly your you know the width of the two elevators might shrink a little bit if if this thing uh, changed substantially. Yeah, and unfortunately, I never found that interference until I was way into the the whole tail assembly. Like there was no way I was going to start taking everything apart again to fix it. So trying to fix something where you have to fit your hand in that little uh, access hole in the side of the fuselage was a real pain. <laughs> yeah, it is. And like like you guys did, you can uh, create a little bit of room there um, in the vertical tail. Um, or if you had to, you could just remove the whole elevator, drill out your end ribs, get new end ribs, and and set that um, that weldment that that joins the right and left elevator. Set that back a little bit to give you an additional clearance. And even if you had to throw in a little bit of a shim underneath it to take up the space, uh, it'd, it'd be simple. So a couple of new ribs, you reset it, it wouldn't be a problem. So if anybody is out there freaking out, there's an easy fix on it. Well. Jeff, I'm not sure Mike and I think that's an easy fix once it's been completely <laughs> assembled. Yeah, I was pretty far along. Uh, I mean, I would have done – it would have been some major uh, – probably a month worth of work to take everything apart and put it back together. I wish I'd found it sooner. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I saw a horror story. Um, somebody had taken an angle grinder, and, you know, there's that little reinforcing rib on that bell crank arm, and they had ground that rib down to try to – eliminate some of the clearance problems and they just kept grinding and grinding and grinding and there was still interference and when they poked through the tube they figured well i probably can't grind anymore and that's the way it was installed in the airplane there was a hole ground through the the joiner tube mm -hmm. and they didn't yeah. think that was a problem well even when john gillis and i went to do that inspection of the plane up here in, in the denver area for somebody to pick up from the east coast that was something I noticed, too, was back in the tail. He had the same uh, weldment to clearance issues that, that many of us have had as, too. And he his his response was for that vertical uh, stabilizer spar is he just filed away and made kind of a concave there of <coughs> the weldment. Well, I think you can get away with some of that. I think you're better with a nicely radiused um, clearance hole. Uh, but, so. yeah. All right. Well, I think uh, let's just jump right into the main discussion here. Uh, so again, we're going to talk uh, documenting your project. And so 
I want to start off with just a, a, a quick discussion on, on why w- would you or, or do you need to document your build? And, and there's a couple things that come to mind right away. Uh, first, the, uh, the regulatory requirements to maintain a builder's log. Um, and this is a, you know, it's, it's, it's in there, but this can be anything from uh, a yellow sticky note with some, some dates and some operations scribbled down or a full on build book. So although there's a regulatory requirement, it's pretty easy to meet the letter of the law here. Well, I'll jump in here and start with a guess again. Uh, you know, I think many of us, when we were especially first time builders, this, this was a real life event for us. And I kind of went to great pains to, to document mine with daily pictures. Uh, I would go back and put notations in. And I'm sure we're going to start talking about this if we start using uh, software programs. I use ExpertCraft to do that. And, you know, I would easily spend another hour after my build day just documenting, loading pictures, checking things off, making notations on the, the assembly tree that Sonics provides towards the front you know, as well as the individual pages that you do along the way. So you can spend uh, quite a bit of time to do that, especially as a first time. Subsequent to that, after I got all those pictures made, uh, went ahead and made a collage, a movie collage, posted it on YouTube for everybody to see my wonderful success, put it to music so it goes from, from crate to flight in about three minutes' time, which I'm sure many of you have seen similar things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, uh, I, I think, I, I'd echo those sentiments that when you start at your first project and you, it's, you know that you've heard that you don't really need detailed, uh, logging for the FAA, but there is kind of a, uh, you're not sure what you need and you do kind of overdo it. I certainly at the beginning, I mean, I was tracking hours, uh, on each part and all that stuff. And after a while, I said, I, you know, that's not why. I want to do this log. So when you look at my log, it really isn't, it, it certainly supports the regulatory, but that's not the reason I did it, uh, uh, the way I did. Cause I realized that the regulatory stuff that you need is so much less than, than actually what I did. And, uh, uh, so, you know, there is a, a sense of making sure you're, you're capturing everything at the beginning, but then I simplified it quite a bit. So on the regulatory side, uh, I just marked up plans pages and said, hey, I finished this on this kind of date. And that's about the only notes I did. If there was anything uh, that I deferred work, I would, because st- I would defer work if I was doing my own kind of uh, schedule, I'd stick a piece of blue tape on that uh, page sticking out over the end. And I knew I had to get rid of all those blue pieces of tape at some point. Well, that's kind of the point I wanted to make is that there is a regulatory requirement that you have to satisfy, but the threshold is very low. What we're really talking about are the other reasons why you would want to document it. And these, I think they're, they're, they're perfectly valid. Um, you know, you want to journal your project for, for your own later reference. Uh, you want to share your experience with others and then you want to, just like you say, it's a life event. You want to share it with people. You want to create a reference out there and you do it because you enjoy doing it. It's part of your building project. It's part of this journey that you're going to go on and it's for your own satisfaction and enjoyment. I think those are some of the biggest reasons why you put the time into doing it. I agree. That's the, that's the single biggest motivation for me is those other reasons. Yeah, I, I've definitely used my my own log when I had to redo rebuild my engine when I had to make a new canopy. I went back and looked at my original uh, entries, and that was helpful. And 
you know, I, I really want to help others. A lot of people help me with their websites and their, uh, their, uh, documentation. And so I feel like I want to return that favor. You know, and you think you're going to remember how you put something together forever. And you won't. In, in, in a year or two, the details will have gotten fuzzy. And it's nice to be able to go back to your own reference and say, how did I exactly do that? What, what parts did I use? And, uh, it gives you an option to, to go back in and just refresh your own memory. I find that I do that all the time. I do that as well. Yeah. Myself too. There is one other thing that, that falls kind of into the regulatory realm. And that is, Although the uh, inspection and the airworthiness inspection process is going to be all paperwork driven, they're not going to care about your build book. They're not going to they're not going to look at your website. But when it comes time to apply for the repairman certificate, then you're going to need to convince somebody that you, you are you do have the skills necessary to perform the annual condition inspection, um, and and that is a way that you can show a, a FISDO inspector or a DAR when they make that recommendation. You can show them your website and say, "Hey, look, I, I you know I, I did all this stuff. I, I I kept records of it. Here's my here's my builder website or my builder book, and um, that makes that application go very simply. If you can just kind of like plop that in their lap and say, "Here, here's all my proof that I, I really do know what I'm talking about." Yeah, that was that was my experience, and they certainly did want to see more than uh, than they did during my initial inspection. Yeah, I went to the FISDO and uh, uh, for my repairman certificate, and uh, I did get online w- uh, with the guy and showed him a couple of pages, and he had a number of questions, and we went through a bunch of things, and uh, he was. Uh, I didn't get the sense that he was. Uh, looking to really challenge to that I, I really knew what I was doing. I found that he was very interested in all the stuff that it was. So we spent a lot of time looking through it. But, again, it was for the repairman certificate, and he definitely wanted to see that, at least a little of it. And I had the opposite. Um, I had feared and dreaded going to the FISDO to uh, request my repairman certificate, had all my documentation, um, almost needed a, a dolly to carry it in. And the, uh, the FISDO inspector said, I don't, I don't need to see that. Let's just do the paperwork. Let's just get this yeah. form filled out properly. He didn't care. Yeah. My experience was very similar to John's. It was just a paperwork issue. So I guess it's, and I, but I've heard horror stories from that FISDO of guys that challenged every, you know, they were quizzing the, uh, the applicant on uh, torque values. Mm. <laughs> That's what I have a reference book for. Yeah. Well, we have an advantage that nobody pro-builds Sonics. There are, you know, Glass Airs and Lance Airs and some RVs that everybody knows that there are shops out there building them for customers. And so I think the FAA, they're not stupid. They understand which are the complicated designs that are being pro-built. And they're trying to hold uh, builders a little bit more accountable for, for lying to them if they come in there requesting the, the repairman certificate. We don't have that problem. Yeah, my yeah. Fisdo was uh was really interested. He was just inter he hasn't seen a lot of uh home built airplanes, so he was actually very interested in seeing the process and asking a lot of questions just like you would hangar flying. Well, let's talk about some options for documenting. And uh I'm just gonna run through kind of the, the spectrum. On one end, you have very, very thin, simple documentation, um, making some notes on the plans. Maybe you have a, a legal pad that you jot down some things in that goes uh, back in the box of the plans and just, just some comments. 
maybe some dates on when you when you accomplish things. Um, then you can get a little bit more systematic. You can build uh, a good builder book with your records. Maybe you put some photos in there. You can put your receipts in there and, and just a little bit more detail. Then go into uh, maybe the next level. You're using a um, a photo site, a blog site, uh, something to, to store your own details of construction. And then ramping that up even more, you use something like Kitlog or ExpertCraft where you're putting in detailed build entries, you know, per day or per operation, complete with descriptions and photos. And then at the, at the other end of the spectrum, you're out there with a custom web page that, that you design, you craft, it's got all your details. So somewhere in between, I think is, is going to be, you know, where most people are going to fall. So I think, um, Mike, I want to I want to turn it over to you because you used ExpertCraft. Is that right? I used Kitlog. Kitlog. Okay. So that's a good. I think a lot of people are using either ExpertCraft or Kitlog. I think that's a, a really good option. So let's let's start kind of in the middle and uh, talk us through how that thing uh, how it works and your experience with using Kitlog. Sure. I think I started using ExpertCraft and and I. I honestly can't remember why I, I didn't like it. I, I can't remember if it was all web-based and none of it was on your computer. Uh, but I pretty quickly shifted over to Kitlog and, and you do pay for it if you don't want to do, you know, just the web-based, uh, Kitlog. It's $50 for, that's it forever. You don't pay a yearly update or anything. And the nice thing is, is it keeps all the data on your home computer. And also, then you upload it to the website. So if the website ever crashes or goes away, you don't lose that information. It's still on your computer. Um, you can uh, keep track of your construction log. You've got an expense log. You have a test flight log, a maintenance log. Uh, they also have uh, resources like all the FAA documentation for uh, for home builds and amateur builds. And uh, I... For me, I wasn't done building for the day unless I logged everything. I was that anal retentive guy that, you know, came upstairs and put my pictures on and noted the part numbers and big paragraph about what I did. And I think that uh, a lot of that came from, one, being anal retentive. But the second was I really got so much out of other people's websites. I just felt like somebody's going to look at my website and I want to help them, you know, figure out how I did it, what mistakes I made or what good things I did or where I got the information from. But um, I still find now I still, uh, when I do maintenance or I do something on the airplane, I still put it in kit log, but I put the hours as zero because I don't want it to keep adding up and saying, hey, look, he spent 5,000 hours on building his airplane. Um, now, I guess the only downside to kit log, uh, well, a potential downside is that it's only Windows-based, although I guess uh, if you're using Macs, Parallels, and Boot Camp, uh, it'll run through that. Uh, and then the other thing that was uh, a little bit uh, short was that you can only put, for any entry, you can only put three photographs. Um, and so what I did, if I wanted to put more than three photographs, I just made more than one entry for that for that day. That's how I got around that. But uh, but uh, the other nice thing about Kitlog, there's a lot of other people that are on Kitlog, and so you can do a search for Sonexes, and find all the people building Sonexes and go check out their websites. So uh, I did keep track of my expenses on Kitlog and as well as my construction. 
So I, I liked it. I, I enjoyed the opportunity to put all that information at the end of the day. So what was the, the uh, learning curve on the, on using that software? I think one evening. <laughs> so it's pretty, it pretty intuitive. Yeah, pretty intuitive because once you, you know, you click on construction log, then it just says, okay, you know, what's the date? How much time did you spend? Part number if you wanted to put it in. Here's a paragraph and then, and, you know, enter your three photographs. And if you want to, you can put a, a title underneath. So yeah, it, it was pretty dirt simple. And I've noticed that a lot of the, the logs have a lot of the same headings. Um, it looks like they're, they have a standard template. Is that the way it works? Yeah, so you can break it into categories, um, any categories that you want. So you can do engine, avionics, fuel system, canopy. Um, so people tend to do a lot of the same things, obviously, engine, avionics, whatever. But you can make as many as you want and as many subcategories as you want. Is there a template that you start off with and then customize it, or is it, is it completely blank and you have to devise it yourself? Uh, yeah, it comes with the with the, when you first open it up, it'll say the basic things like fuselage, landing gear, engine, and you can just go with that, or you can start adding adding more right away. I started okay. with the stock stuff until I realized, hey, I can I can make my own. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then what about um, you know things you kind of tricks you picked up along the way? Uh, what did you find that really simplified things? Well, I, I think the, one of the things was I kept assuming that when I took pictures, you know, nowadays you take digital pictures and the things are three to eight megabytes. Um, and I kept thinking that I needed to uh, minimize the size of the photographs before I uploaded them. And it was probably a year after I was using the software when I finally figured out that it does that for you. If you've got an eight megabyte photograph, when it uploads it, it shrinks the file size down. So I spent a whole bunch of time, you know, making file sizes smaller that I didn't need to. Uh, but other than that, um, you know, not too much. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, and I like being able to have the, all the data on my computer as well as online. You know, you bring that up about photos. Uh, there, there's a lot of advantage to that because you take a photo and it's, you know, the, the file name is just whatever, you know, picture 027 that doesn't mean anything to you when you go back and you look at your your photo library you know in two years but if it's tied to a a post and you can see what category it falls in there's a description it helps you zero in on the information you're looking for if you just have a, a folder on your hard drive of just every photo you took on your project it's very difficult to go find that information you're looking for yeah, so I, I would, every night, whenever I took photogra- had photographs, I'd drop them into a folder with the date in there. But I found that even that, you know, you don't know, going back to look at your folders, if it says uh, December, you know, 16th, uh, 2013, you're like, well, I, I don't know what's in that folder. So I often, if I was looking for something, I would actually go to my online kit log and find what date. I did the thing I was looking for and then go back to my computer and look in that folder. Because right. a lot of times I took 20 pictures, but I only posted three of them online. Right. Okay. So um, I guess um, for a person that is just starting on on, uh, on a kit log, what what do you think uh, you would you would kind of recommend they do? What what tips can you offer? What advice? Uh, you know, it's, it's really simple. Like I've got it in front of me right now. So I just, you know, you open it up and you hit construction log 
and you hit add and it gives you everything right in front of you. So I would just say, you know, try it. Just try adding a bunch of things and go down to the bottom and hit save and that's kind of it. Um, now, how well does it work with like your iPhone? You know, if you've got all your pictures on your phone rather than a digital camera, do you have to transfer them to your hard drive first, or can you upload from your phone? Uh, generally, you're gonna you're gonna upload or upload them to your computer for download them to your computer first. Okay. Um, just because, again, the, one of the the great things about you know KitLog is that you're keeping the data on your your home computer as well as online. Mm-hmm. So, so everything I did, I I dropped onto my computer. Yeah. Okay. So maybe one extra step there, and in, in uh, getting your photos off your phone onto your computer. You know, back in the day when everybody had a digital camera that you had to connect to your computer and download your photos, uh, that's the way it was all done. And I think uh, you know, smartphones have changed that a lot. Yeah, and I know Kitlog um, has um, the option to do f- everything completely online and to not keep everything on your computer. Um, I don't have any experience in that, so I can't speak to that, but I know that's an option. So if that's the case, then it may very well be that you could upload your pictures straight from your iPhone. All right. Well, Gary, you said you started off with a, with an extensive log. What did you do? Well, I use ExpertCraft uh, back in the time. Another great aspect of it was absolutely free. Uh, so it, it made a lot of the organization already just kind of a turnkey for me. Uh, as Mike said with the other one, they're very similar. You know, they give you a log overview, a construction log, expense logs. You have an ability to uh, add comments into it, to upload pictures, uh, keep track of hours. Um, so, for example, when you go to do a construction log, you know, when you add construction entry, the first thing that comes up is a category. And within that category, you can choose such things as empennage, wings, fuselage, firewall, panel, interior, landing gear, the list goes on and on and on. So you get one major topic, then there's a sub subcategory underneath that, like parts preparation or you know elevators, rudders, trim tabs, tips, etc. And it just goes on and on and on like that. So as I said before, you know this was a life event for me, so I was really geared up. So I'd spend you know eight hours a Saturday out there and come in the home and have to spend another thirty forty five minutes with the. Uh, expert craft loading in all my pictures and making the meticulous logs and keeping track of it that way as well as my expenses uh, not only did I keep a log um, of the construction but I also you know kept throwing all the expenses in there so I could kind of track and I got pretty close you know my expense log I think I had budgeted uh, 28,000 was my optimistic guess I think it came out at 107% so a little less than 10% over my budget so I thought that was pretty interesting uh, I don't believe my next project is going quite as well, however. <laughs> now, in ExpertCraft, um, how does it back up your data? It, does it only live on the web, or can you get a local copy on your hard drive? It, it does appear to be just web-based uh, altogether. Of course, the pictures that you take, you know, you, you still have your pictures, but you do have to download it from web uh, to be able to see your your logs and uh, and, and postings. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that might be a slight disadvantage if ExpertCraft goes away, then your log goes away as well. Yeah, but again, like I said, I you know at least I did the the, the complete photographic record and, and made my own montage and video, so I can kind of just you know reminisce through that every once in a while too, just to see and, and remember the fun and excitement of building the, the aircraft. Mm-hmm. Right, John. How did you document yours? Um, I used just an Excel spreadsheet. 
Um, I had no intention to really share it with any other builders or put it on the web. Um, and uh, I did take pictures. I didn't tie any pictures to um, specific uh, log entries. I just threw them all into a folder for support later on. And in the, the uh, Excel spreadsheet started out fairly detailed. And then by the end of the project, it was it was pretty pathetic, to tell you the truth. <laughs> it was like um, six lost, months between entries, huh? Yeah, I, was, I had lost a lot of interest in documentation and more interest in finishing the project. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely a sliding scale. I think a lot of logs are, are kind of like that. You, you know, they start off really good, and, you know, there, there's a lot of really good tail construction websites out there. Mm-hmm. And then they just, that's it. <laughs> they never go beyond that. That's absolutely true. Um, and then I, I ended up actually starting to, to just utilize the plans um, to just put a date on and a checkbox. Or, or I, I used uh, colored markers um, on the different uh, steps in the plans to say this is completed, this needs to be revisited, and then a date, you know, when I did it. And that became more of my log than my spreadsheet did. Mm-hmm. I use that same technique on, on every plans page. I would make all kinds of notes right on the page. And then over by the, the page number in the lower right hand corner, I would have my checklist of anything that wasn't done. And I would, I'd make a note with a checkbox. And then when that task was done, whether it was to install a bolt or, you know, a cotter key or whatever the, the task was, I would check that off. And then, you know, when, when all my tasks that I had noted to myself were done, then I would check the whole sheet off. And that way I wouldn't forget something. And, uh, and, and, and I would routinely go back and review those. And it's really kind of pathetic because I, you know, my, my career has been, you know, web development, documentation and, uh, and database, um, management. And so I have the skill set. I have all the tools to develop a really cool website to do all this stuff. But, you know, this is not what I do for a living. So, um, I kind of almost, if I, uh, on my second project, my Pete and Paul, it is literally a big chief notepad is my mm-hmm. log now. Well, and this is your hobby. You, you don't want to do your yeah. work and doing this. So, yeah. Well, again, everybody has different goals and what they're trying to do. So, all right. Well, Bob and I went a little bit different. Uh, we, we went more on the, the detailed custom website and, um, I'll talk about mine, uh, I guess later. Um, so Bob, walk us through how you did yours. Well, mentioning yours, um, uh, yours actually was an inspiration for what I, uh, for, for what I wanted to accomplish. I thought it was very, uh, photographic oriented, a lot of commentary. And, uh, uh, when I read yours, um, I, in fact, showed it to my dad. I said, I think this is what I want to do. And, uh, I have, uh, an interest in photography, so I had a, a spare digital camera that just sat in the uh, um, uh, workshop, and it was just always there. And I, I snapped pictures all the time without uh, worrying too much about writing notes uh, and that sort of stuff. So, uh, so I knew I was just going to make a kind of a conversational. Here's how I did something, and I had all of the equipment and the tools to do it because I. Uh, as I said, I as a photographer, I have uh, on the Sonics. I ended up with uh, twelve thousand. I just looked it up today. It's twelve thousand eight hundred and sixty-six photographs. But it's just to pick up the camera and shoot, 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 shoot. And every uh, week or so, I just upload them to the machine, 
I have Aperture on my Macintosh, which is a great uh, software tool for being able to browse through lots and lots of pictures and then be able to make selections. And I would just go through and I uh, would load them and just uh, say, oh, that's a good picture, that's a good picture. And now all of the ones that weren't good would just fall away as I just select uh, uh, the ones that were uh, the good pictures. And then it was just a question of take those pictures, turn it into a story, and uh, Aperture also had the ability to um, uh, export export those photos in kind of a the page format that you see. They actually have a number of different uh, formats. And so I would just uh, put all the pictures down for a story of the last two weeks. Here's what I did, kind of in this order. I put I came up with the format of like four pictures per page, and then I just kept adding pictures until the story of the last two weeks was done. Then I'd go back and uh, then uh, write about it. And mostly, uh, when I told you that I told my dad that this is what I wanted to do, is because I knew my dad was going to be bugging me. Uh, you know, what have you done on the plane? What have you done on the plane? And that was pretty much the, for the whole build. If I didn't build, I'd hear from him say, "I need pictures." Uh, so that was one of the main motivations: is to do that. Uh, to 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 sh- share all that with uh, my dad, and then also to share all of that commentary with the uh, Sonics community, like uh, I was inspired by your site to do, so that well, people could. Well, Bob, I think it. I can see that you're you are indeed using digital versus film because that probably adds or equates <laughs> to about 24 pictures per Sonics part, doesn't it? Yeah, that's <laughs> about it. Uh, digital. Digital photography is you just snap, the bits are free, you know, so it's no big deal. And, uh, uh, Bob, you're not the one that did the montage where they locked down the digital camera in the shop. No, that was the entire build. That was actually fascinating. I saw that. That that was a a great way to do it. And I think Um, the guy had it either on a timer or on a, it was motion sensor because it took a picture every time he was in the shop, and he turned it into a movie. I I remember seeing those, but no, I didn't do it uh, that way. Okay. Uh, uh, but it, so so my tools, I had the tools to be able to handle a lot of photographs. The tools that I had uh, uh, allowed me to handle thousands of photographs, be able to easily make uh, through templates make these web pages it was just a question of did i want to write uh the stuff uh and uh, i found it kind of interesting and and so it was as fun to do the website as it turns out as it was to uh build the airplane um and uh it was a great way to review what i had done uh and of course it still serves as a great you know all of those pictures there's a lot of pictures of, that never make it to the website and uh, those are pictures that I go back and reference if I say, you know, I'm not sure how I did that. In fact, uh, I was going to go back and look at because I'm not sure exactly now what what happened on my tail where I did have interference. I'm somebody mentioned a shim, and now I'm thinking I had to I did put a shim in somewhere. And so now I know later tonight I'm going to go back to my site and figure out what the hell did I do back there. Yeah, and that's uh, part of the satisfaction is. Um 
providing a reference like that. You know, something will come up in conversation on a, on a news group forum, and they'll say, oh, I'm having this problem. Well, you can run back to your log and, and zero in on a specific entry and say, hey, go look at this. This is this will give you some ideas on how at least I tackled the problem. And then you can help somebody out without having to regurgitate all that information each and every time. Yeah, I've done that plenty of times. In fact, uh, I've seen uh, Bob Micah do that. He's on all the time. And uh, not as much, I don't think, anymore. But uh, back when I was building, it's like he was on every day and posting Answering people's questions, say, here's my picture, how I did that. Here's my picture, how I did that. And uh, it was nice to have uh, that stuff. And I still, if I'm reading uh, the bulletin boards and somebody has something and I know that I've got something right to that, I'll go uh, get a link to one of the pages and I'll shoot that uh, onto the website, uh, onto the forum and say, yeah, here's, here's how I did it and go right to the page and give somebody else a reference. So that is nice to have all of that to do it. Okay, so tell me the software package you were using again. Well, I used a couple, but Aperture is, uh, unfortunately, it's an orphan product from Apple right now. Uh, but it's um, it's a picture management software, and um, it's kind of a real fancy iPhoto. Uh, Adobe has a product similar, and it's called Lightroom. And you can manage all the pictures in there. And it's very easy to, you know, you were talking about organizing. It's real easy to create organization uh, on these type of tools because they're meant to be able to handle thousands and thousands of photographs. So Aperture is the Apple program and uh, Lightroom would be the uh, uh, complementary program from Adobe. And then there was a piece of programming, uh, a, a piece of software that I happen to have uh, uh, called Quark Express, which was a database, not a database, a, uh, uh, a publishing uh, piece of software uh, that I use to create my main page. So when you go to my main page for my Sonics, there's the list of all of the, the logs, and I just made that page up in there. And uh, they had a, the ability to make a page that you could either print or, or put on the web. So those are the two main tools I used. But mostly it was Aperture. And then when you decided to host it, um, how did you do that? Well, again, uh, I think it, I'm not sure who, who it was who said that, you know, their business was uh, in the software realm. I'm a retired software guy. So I'm hosting uh, both my – I have my own email server and my own web server at home. So I'm a little bandwidth challenged. Uh, uh, so when you get to my site, it's a little slower than a number of other people, but I've got it all here on my own machines and, uh, I'm standing right next to my web server and my mail server and all of that stuff here. So I just run them cause they're just kind of fun to do because I can. Yeah. And you don't have to deal with tech support. I don't have to deal with tech support. I don't have to pay anybody a monthly fee. Uh, I, I, uh, it's just nice and simple. Although my, uh, internet connection and I have to have, uh, dedicated IPs. So, uh, that gets slightly more expensive. It's a little bit different of how you have to get your, uh, your stuff. But that's, that would be something that, uh, most people certainly wouldn't, uh, do. Uh, I could certainly take what I created and put it on a hosting, uh, on a hosted website. And that would be no problem it's just you'd have to pay so much a month or whatever those fees would be depending on how big it would be 
Okay. So advice, if somebody wants to do something similar, um, what, what bits can you pass along? If you want to do something similar to mine and you've, if you've gone through mine and looked at it, it's going to take quite a commitment to actually writing. So, uh, you've got to write the, you got to write the prose, you know, uh, you got to say what you did and, uh, uh, it would take me, uh, rather than do a log every night of what I did, every two weeks I'd sit down for an afternoon, sort the pictures and, uh, um, and then I'd write for a couple hours. And, uh, uh, so you gotta wanna write. Uh, you could do it without, uh, writing and then you just have a bunch of pictures. Uh, but, uh, I'm not so sure if you were gonna go and do something like mine that that, that, you know, how, uh, effective that would be. So it's almost as big a commitment to be able to do it all the way through to the end as it is in building the plane. It's certainly not as uh, technically challenging, but, uh, there's a, there's a number of hours to be able to do it. So, um, and just make sure you know what tools you're going to use and be able to use them really well because that's going to be able to help you out. So like Aperture, uh, if you use something like that, uh, you know, just pick a tool that's going to aid you. Uh, there are a number of uh, web development tools out there now that make creating pages fairly simple. Uh, just make sure you know how to use it really well. Something that, that sometimes gives people problems is that they, they start working with a software package and they don't really know what they want to do. They start playing with a little bit of this. They try a template over here and they, they really don't have a vision in mind that's guiding what they're doing. And that's the wrong way of going about it. If you're just trying to, to learn the software that, you know, that's understandable. But really what you need to do is you need to stop and you need to think about what am I trying to accomplish here and spend some time and think about what your goals are, uh, you know, create a vision of what you're trying to do. And then the organization will start to flow. You'll start to say, okay, I need to organize it like this, and maybe this suggests the way in which I'm going to do this. And if you spend some time thinking about your organization and vision up front, a lot of these other things will naturally just sort of work themselves out. I think that's a, a really good point. Um, there are a number of things that I deliberately haven't done. Uh, because I don't have an organizational structure that will support them. For example, on your site, you have a number of support documents uh, for uh, like your um, pilot operating handbook and things like that with, that you've developed and you, and you kind of have a nice organization how you go through that. Mine really evolved and evolved quickly into being just this exposition, almost like writing a book. So it wasn't going to be able to support some of those things real easily uh, uh, without, you know, uh, having to add and change my structure. So my vision at the beginning kind of uh, and, and the way I built things kind of limits me in, in uh, doing some of those other things. But those were the things that I wasn't really interested in doing. I was looking for this expositional type uh, log. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I specifically wanted to do is be able to pass along useful references, um, share products that I developed. Um, and so you're right. That's exactly something that, that factored into my thinking was I wanted to be able to share those, the pilot operating handbook and some of the other things that I developed. So, yeah, for example, I found that because of the 
what I chose. I've done some little movies and things like that, but there's no real easy format for me to put them in. So they're just for me then. And I've got them, but they're not things that I'm able to share real well unless I wanted to go back in and uh, redo it. The other thing um, uh, for me uh, is I built the airplane and then I stopped on the log. Um, and so it was a construction log. Uh, uh, and anything that I did after, like the airworthiness certificate, I still have pictures for that and stuff, but I've never gone back and added to it. And I actually think I might have missed the boat there a little bit. In fact, I think it's Mike Smith here. I was just at his page the other day. And uh, I saw that now it's well after he started flying and he rebuilt uh, uh, the Aero-V. And uh, I went through the whole thing because now I'm a little bit over 400 hours. I'm finishing up another airplane. And I figured that as soon as I get the uh, other airplane in the air, I'm thinking next summer I'm going to uh, 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 take my Aero-V and uh, – Take it apart. I'm look, interested to see what it looks like after 400 hours. I hadn't built an engine before. And so now I've got uh, Mike's references. I went through the whole thing, and uh, it was very detailed and uh, very informative. And uh, I've not done any of things like that. In uh, You know, I told my story, and then I was done. But really, you know, there's actually still more story to tell. Yeah, it's never done. No. Well, uh, on my site... You know, I wanted to tell the story, but but really what motivated me to, to do mine was some of the early builders that I had looked at. And again, Sonics was, was new. It was kind of – it was an up-and-coming company. There weren't a lot of early builders out there with websites, but there were a handful, and and their websites – really showed the strengths of the design, the ease of construction. A lot of the really good selling points uh, came across in their websites. And then – as often happens, you know, a lot of a lot of the early builders they they move on, they they drop off the scene, and those websites were starting to disappear. And I thought I want to provide a similar type reference for new builders. I want to get the point across on what I think the the, the mission is, and and the strengths of the design, and all the things that that helped me zero in that that was a a really great choice for me, I wanted to be able to share that with other people. And that's kind of the early vision that, that guided me. And then I wanted to be able to share, um, share the daily progress, you know, same thing. My dad was very interested in the construction. And so we talked about it, you know, all the time and he wanted to see my updates and photos and the text. And, and that was just a really great way to share it with him as well. Yeah. And I actually do find myself now doing go backs. Um, like if I found that I actually did something wrong or I should have done it a different way, uh, even if it was something that happened four years ago, I'll go back to some of my entries and put a line down there and say update, you know, 2016, you know, I did it this way and I really shouldn't have. And, uh, so I actually do go back because I know people will go and read those things that I, that I did and I don't want them to make the same mistake I did. But I want them to see what the mistake was, so I leave the original information there, and then I just give an update. Yeah, that's a great point, because there's a lot of builders out there that you look at their site and it says, well, this is what I'm thinking about doing, I'm going to try this out. And that that's it, that's the end of the story. It's <laughs> like, well, was it good, was it bad? You know, give me some feedback. 
Yeah, there were a few times where I didn't admit my mistakes, but but most of the time I did. <laughs> well, and that's the other thing which I wanted to hit on, which, uh, th- you know, you, you can go any number of ways. It's your log. But there's a lot of value into sharing your mistakes. Um, y- you can save people from making the same mistakes and just maybe try to, you know, educate people on the things that don't work. You know, sometimes that experience is hard won and you can pass it along. That's definitely one thing that I wanted to do, and that actually I saw some of that on your site, not to bring up your mistake, but I remember you uh, riveting on on the front fuselage side panels, those rear vertical uh, angles that aren't supposed to be riveted on until after you uh, drill uh, right. the wing spars. And I go, whoa, <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> And, uh, and so, uh, you know, I remember when I got to that point, I already knew that Jeff told me, make sure you don't do this, you know, and yeah, uh, thanks, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> Glad to help. <laughs> and I definitely have all of my warts are definitely in my uh, build log. And uh, there's a, a few choice uh, words for Sonics, but very loving choice words uh they i mean i always thought it was a great kit but there are a couple of things they go why did you do it that way but there are very few of those uh but uh i certainly shared all of that and uh all of the uh, you know everything that i did wrong because i i think it is uh people have common there are common errors and if you made the error somebody else may easily make that error and by bringing it up uh, they're going to look for it and uh, possibly avoid making that same error. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny, uh, you know, quick story. When I did that, I, I just I overlooked the plans and I riveted both those angles on. And uh, it wasn't until I was fitting the tunnel that I started to realize, oh, wait a sec, I think I might have made a mistake and I don't have very good access. How am I going to countersink these holes in the angles for the spar tunnel? And I went to great lengths. I was trying to get a 90-degree piece, and I was going to countersink those in from the side. I was going through all this extra work to try to avoid having to remove those angles because I, I'd gotten it out of sequence. And this is yeah. relatively early in the process. And I guess looking back on it, I guess I was just worried about drilling rivets out, thinking maybe I would screw some parts up. And now the, the answer seems so obvious. Man, in, yeah. in two minutes, that part is, was zipped right out of there, and there was no damage done. You know, you, you move those rivets, you do it properly, there's no problem. But at the time, I was really hung up on that, and so I learned something about that. So I wanted to kind of pass all that along. Yeah. I don't know how you can pass along in the, the log, though, that – the difference you're going to feel about how you work on a part from the beginning, the very first part you make, to the very last part you make. I mean, like you said, the idea of drilling out rivets, I mean, it's trivial after you've built yourself an airplane. But the first time you have to drill out 20 of them or something, oh, man, that looks like I've ruined the airplane. And uh, We're actually practicing trying to drill out a few. I thought well, maybe there's something I need to learn. In hindsight, as everyone knows, by the time you get finished doing a project, you don't have to worry about practicing ahead of time. You're going to get plenty of practice. <laughs> yeah, you get plenty of practices, right. Uh, and so you'll know how to do it by the end. Well, a few people have asked me how I did my website, You know what, what software I use, and I've tried to explain it. Um, really, it's extremely low-tech. Um, I don't use a publishing software. Um, I code all my pages in Notepad. 
you know, I work directly in the HTML. And that's something that I just, I picked up in college. And, and so I, I build my templates and I do my style sheets and it's all kind of old school HTML. But mm-hmm. I understand it and I do it. I can't really teach somebody how to do that. So I'm not a very good example of, you know, to follow other than just maybe how I approach building it. Um, so I, I build all my pages. I, I use an FTP program to transfer them to a server. I pay for web space through a hosting company. I think I pay about, I think it's about 70 bucks for three years and then my domain name. So it costs me, say, 50 bucks a year for, for all that stuff. Um, but it's, it's pretty straightforward. Once, once you kind of get a template going and you figure out how this thing is going to look, then you just recycle them. And, and, and that's, that's easy. When you get to that point, You've done all the organizing, all the logic is set. You just pull out a template, put the data in, save it as a new file, and you're off and running. You guys are making me feel like a computer Neanderthal. (laughs) I was doing that on purpose, so I don't really know what I'm talking about. Excellent job, Jeff. (laughs) Jeff, as a a person who gets paid to do that, that's exactly how I do it for companies. So, Yeah. It's it's not unusual. We don't use these fancy tools. We just dig into the, the raw code and, and get it done. And steal, steal, steal. You did it once before. Take it and do it again and change the headers and uh, change what the page is and change the file name, and now you got the new page. Yep. What other things do we need to just pass along on this whole topic of, um, you know, documenting your project? I, you know, I have one comment. Maybe this is the best place to put it in but uh, if somebody is looking to put it onto the web one of the things i would tell you is there are unexpected benefits one of the most unexpected benefits for me putting what i did on the web is the number of people i have met at oshkosh and uh and at crossville for the american sonics association uh emails that come into me the people just uh gush over Man, I spent three hours just going through your site. It's the best thing I've ever seen. It's great. I, I introduce myself and they go, Bob Myers. That, Bob Myers. Oh, yeah, I've seen your site and you talk and you meet these wonderful people and they're interested. You've, you know, it's very rewarding to have put something out there of what your work is and then have somebody have found it and look at it and talk to you about it. And, uh, uh, comment on it. That's an unexpected benefit of doing it. So if there, if people are reluctant to put it out there, I would tell you that just working on it is a, is a benefit in its own, just having people see it. It's a great yeah, way I, to connect with people. Yeah, yeah, I found that too. People use my, uh, my kit log site to find me and email me through that. So I get stuff all the time saying, Hey, I was on your website and was looking at this stuff and, Yep. So I've connected with a bunch of people that way. Yeah, you're right. That's a that's a great thing. All right, Gary, John, uh, what else? Let's uh, let's let's wrap this up. What other what other ideas out there? What other well, final thoughts? You know, one thing that these websites are great. Um, I used them. Bob Bob Micah's uh, photo logs were just tremendously helpful for me. Uh, Bob Myers, obviously, um, but don't feel like you have to do it. Um, you know, you're building an airplane. If you want to share it, great, but don't feel like I think you have to. But you know, you have to do a minimum amount of documentation. So um, at least get that done because when you get down to the end of the project and you don't have it, you're going to really regret it. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Do do what you want to do. Don't do what 
you know, somebody else says, if you just want to use a spreadsheet, then just use a spreadsheet. If you want to just write notes on the plans, then write notes on the plans. And if you want to, you know, go the full nine uh, yards, then, then, you know, go for it. All right, Gary, final thoughts on this? Uh, same thing, you know, find something that fits your personality and what your goal is. Keep it fun. Uh, don't you, as you can, you know, I was just looking over some of Bob Myers' website and, and it is as phenomenal. I mean, one entry, you he can have eight or nine pages, uh, to support that entry site. So, uh, I, I can see how he spent, you know, numerous, numerous hours doing that. If he enjoys it, that's perfectly great. Um, just find whatever flow keeps the project going. Make sure you're building and, and keeping something going every day. That's right. You don't want to stall out on your build because you spent too much time on your on your documentation and then you lost interest. Or if the documentation becomes so much of a burden that you re, you just dread even working on the project. I do have one documentation thing that I like to caution people about, and that is, you know, people I've here have talked about saving all their receipts and putting them either into Excel spreadsheet, which is how I did it as well. I, I although I did it kind of at the end of the build, I, they all went into a folder and just were sitting in that folder waiting to be organized. Uh, but don't forget about taxes. <laughs> I don't know about other states, but in Illinois, I was actually audited for my airplane taxes, for my use tax. They wanted to, uh, after I had uh, registered, they said, you know what? We want to check out what exactly you spent on that airplane. And so they had an auditor uh, uh, contact me, and I had to send all of my receipts uh, and my spreadsheets, and they went through the whole thing and just verified that I, in fact, paid all the taxes. I mean, if, uh, if I had not been at least diligent enough to keep all that stuff, that could have been an issue uh, with, with the airplane. And if you don't have any documentation, they're going to assess it at whatever they think it is. Probably a lot higher. Uh, yeah, as part of that, I keep my airplane in Indiana. And when, even though I built it in, the, in Illinois, and in Indiana, they said, well, you know, we don't know that you paid the tax there. So, uh, we're assuming the airplane is $100,000 and you owe us, uh, I don't remember the number, but it was a large number. It says you owe us uh, so much tax. And I called them and said, uh, I paid all that tax in Illinois. And they, I had to send them some documentation that I had done that. And, uh, that was fine. Uh, but, uh, like you said, they were going to, they said the airplane was worth $100,000. They just picked that number right out of nowhere. <laughs> when it comes to taxes, yeah. they're going to get their pound of flesh out of you. <laughs> Absolutely. Carl Bendis owned his Cessna for about three years now, and they just came after him for the uh, the sales tax on it. Yeah, they. Uh, I think I had the Sonics flying for two years before the state of Illinois came and said, you know, we, we want to take a look at that. All right, Mike, uh, final thoughts? Well, you know, um, I really want to say thanks to all the people who did uh, keep their information on the website. It was funny. The other day I went back and I said, geez, I'm trying to remember which were the sites that I went to all the time. And, and oddly enough, I went to Jeff Schultz, Bob Myers, and then uh, Carl Orton and, and Eric Witherspoon. So, yeah, I and, went to those sites too. Yeah, And I went to others too. Um, and, and boy, I got something out of all of them. So uh, I, I'm just really grateful to those people because uh, it, it would have been a lot harder to do without that. Well, and we've talked about this before. 
most people have something that that they know or some something that they can share that's going to be of value to others, and this is a great way to to pass it along. And I think that part of us just being uh, you know good participants in the Sonics community is to try to do that. If I know something, uh, I really need to try to share it with everybody else, especially if it's related to getting more people flying and keeping them flying safely. We really ought to take that on ourselves and, and really do that. Yep. All right, guys. Well, um, good discussion. Uh, appreciate all the, all the thoughts on that. Um, hopefully this is going to motivate people to, uh, to get out there and, and, uh, jump into, uh, an, a kit log or an expert craft or something like that. If they've been a little hesitant because they're not sure about getting started, hopefully it's going to give them the confidence to jump in and, and do it. If they're thinking about doing a, a photo site or, or, or something more complicated on a website that give them something to kind of think about and, and uh, put a little time into organizing it up front. But uh bottom line, like you said, Gary is get out there, get in the workshop and, and get your project done. And if you can document along the way, that's good. There's some good benefits, but, but get out there and, and get your plane built. So our next show, uh, episode 11, uh, we're going to talk developing pilot operating handbooks. Um, this is something that I put a lot of time into, and I thought uh, we can we can share some of our techniques for how how to do that, um, provide a good useful reference document. So we'll do that. And then, uh, and then after the POH show, uh, we're going to talk with Joe Norris and we're going to do an ROV tips and tricks show. Really looking forward to that. Uh, I think there's a lot of people out there that are hungry to consume tips on, uh, building and maintaining their ROV. So that's, that's going to be great. I'm looking forward to that. For this episode, you can find us at sonicsflight.com slash 10. That's one zero. You find the show notes. We'll put links to the builder websites, you know, Bob's site and Mike's uh, kit log. Uh, we'll have links to the, the news topics that we talked about and uh, anything else that you heard mentioned the show, we'll put links on that. And you can subscribe to Sonic's Flight on iTunes, Google Play. Uh, you can go to the website and download the show directly from there, or you can use your favorite podcast app for that. Uh, if you uh, have an idea for a show, send us an email, and uh, we'll uh, put that into the rotation and uh, try and uh, do the topics that people are most interested in. So, uh, yeah, I would encourage you to get on there and send us some feedback. And, and that link is on the website, or you can just email us at feedback at sonicsflight.com. And with that out of the way, I want to say uh, thanks again to Bob Myers and Mike Smith. Uh, great talking to you guys, and I uh, look forward to talking to you guys again soon. So uh, thanks, everybody. Thanks for having me. The views and opinions expressed on the Sonic Flight podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of any individual, company, or organization mentioned on this program. Nothing presented on this podcast should be construed to be the official position or recommendation of anyone not directly associated with Sonic Flight. Anything that sounds like advice should be carefully considered before being implemented. Remember, you are the pilot in command. I like how you say that you're, you know, you've always talked about the once a month, but then you've been doing a whole lot more than once a month. I just keep at Yeah, it. tell us about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, John. <laughs> yeah, Jeff's on drugs with this stuff. <laughs> He's beating you over the head, huh? Yeah, John, we're yeah. just a thing. We're, we can we're slow down a little. Down. Right. Yeah. <laughs> He's pretty bad about nipple twisting around here. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm, I'm trying to solidify our position as the best Sonics podcast out there. So, <laughs> is, there, there. Is, the is it the only? Yeah. <laughs> Micah, are you on mute? Oops, sorry. <laughs> I am on mute. I hate it when that happens. Hey, Gary, okay. before you go, um, do you have a link to your expert craft site? Do you want me to include it on the show notes? Uh, after looking at uh, Bob's, I haven't had a chance to look at Mike's. I'll pass on that. <laughs> <laughs> it's up to you. <laughs> I can even uh, put a little it, note that says, this is an example of what not to do. <laughs> well, this, this was more of the minimalistic side, yeah.